Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring dream-accelerating inspiration. I'm Jeff Meyer, your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify and clarify your own dream by taking wisdom from others' successes and challenges. If you're looking to take action on your dream, to make a difference doing something you love, but your fears are holding you back, then this podcast is for you. If you're interested in finding additional support, you can also check out my Dream Accelerator coaching program designed to help realize your full potential and reshape your future. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator program at jeffmeyer.org. Using my Dream Accelerating formula, heart-centered entrepreneurs can focus on their dream, name their fears, change their mindset, define their next, and move forward anyway. Welcome back, fellow successful dreamers, to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast. And today I have my first repeat... Offender. Offender. Yes, I was looking (laughs) for the word. John Busacker is back in the house, and he's learned so much in the recent months from the book that they have published, he and his co-author together, and we want to just talk about all the learnings that have come out of that. And I think you'll find this very interesting and aligning very well with this uh, theme of this podcast, Move Forward Anyway. So, John, thank you for being with me again today. It's so glad. Good to see you again. Um, So, introduce yourself again and let's let's jump in and have a great conversation. Well, Jeff, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me back. I'm honored to be the first uh, repeater on uh, the Move Forward podcast. I had such a delightful time just conversing with you uh, last time. And I look back at our last conversation and I was wearing a sweater the last time. And here we are, you know, it's, uh, it's currently late fall, summerish, late summer, early fall, um, when we're recording this. And so I'm standing here in short sleeve shirt and, but a month from now I'll be wearing a sweater again. So yeah. With right? you, brother. yeah. <laughs> Wear it as long as we can. For sure. This is great to be back with you. I, uh, I truly enjoyed our last uh, time together. You're a great conversationalist. And so it's just easy to carry on a conversation about, about life and faith and work and things with you. So again, I'm I'm uh, John Busacker. I've I've got I'm on my third career. Um, I was a high school educator and counselor, and then I spent a considerable amount of time in financial services as an advisor and as a practice leader. And then uh, the last 26 years, I've been a leadership development consultant, which has given me the opportunity to speak and facilitate and coach and do some writing and work with just some amazing uh, organizations. Uh, both in the for-profit world, some large global organizations, as well as with faith communities and churches in the uh, not-for-profit world. So, yeah. And the last time we talked, uh, we spent a lot of time on your your job, your performance as a, a leadership coach and consultant, and uh, you were just publishing a book called Gasping for Breath. And I think we highlighted it briefly, but we didn't talk too much about it. And there's been a lot of things that have come out of that, that you have learned. And I'm so glad that you're here to share some of those insights. Gasping for Breath. I love the title. I love the book, by the way, have have read it and really appreciate the message of it. And it's so Mm -hmm. important that message today, there's been so many times I felt like I'm gasping for breath in the last (laughs) few months. Um, So let's just tell me, um, where did the the spark come from to write this book? So um, uh, one of the things I've learned, uh, not just in the process of this book, Jeff, but just in my own faith journey is that God is patient. I mean, Mm -hmm. he, he is, he is not in a hurry. Um, and so he's never in a hurry. Um, Jesus embodied that. He was never, never in a hurry. He was, he was uh, always planful, thoughtful, um, always present in the moment. And so actually this journey began um, nine years before we started to write the book. Um, 
My, my co-author for the book is a uh, now a good friend and my former pastor, David Johnson. But uh, nine years before we started writing the book, I was asked by the council of the church that Carol and I, my wife Carol and I were attending, and Dave was the lead pastor of it at the time, whether I would be willing to coach Dave um, because the, they were anticipating an upcoming leadership transition, and they thought, um, I might be able to be helpful with my leadership development background and being um, uh, a man of faith and a, a tender at the church, whether I could coach him. And my, my honest response was, uh, I don't know, um, because at that time, I, I didn't know Dave. Mm. And, and coaching is a first and foremost, a relational thing. There has to be a, a connection between the, the people. And so I said, let me, let me just have a, a cup of coffee with Dave and and see whether we hit it off, whether he, we like each other at all. Because mm-hmm. um, at that point, I just knew him as the guy who stood in front of the church and spoke too fast for me to take notes and, you know, <laughs> was a brilliant teacher, but I didn't, I had never met him personally. So uh, a couple of weeks later, we had a cup of coffee. Um, and within uh, 10 minutes, I knew that I didn't want to coach him. <laughs> Not because he just, you know, appeared to be like an impossibly hard dude to coach, uh, I wanted to be his friend mm. because we had kind of one of those uh, brothers from a different mother sort of experiences mm-hmm. immediately. There was an, an instant connection where within 10 minutes we were laughing and joking and trading stories. And there was an instant bond of friendship. And I didn't want to screw that up actually by coaching him. I didn't ever want to be sitting in church on a Sunday and go, you know, I should I should probably talk to Dave about that, or he maybe should have, you know, thought about that a little differently. Or, you know, I, I just didn't want to have any anything going through my mind when I was sitting in church as a uh, as a receiver of the word. But I also didn't want it to get in the way of what I thought would become, and it has indeed become a wonderful, deep friendship. And so, God started that; He was planting that seed nine years previous. Wow. He's patient, more patient than me. Very patient. (laughs) And it's sometimes we think it's about that and it's uh, the future is unfolding. And we have no idea where that's going to take us. And as we, and I work with people on their dream pursuit, I I always say that if you don't take that next step, you're you're never going to be able to see what might unfold. And even if, if you would have just said to the council right away, no, I'm not going to coach him. Hmm. where would you be today with him? You know, maybe a totally different place. I, I think so. Um, it, so we, we just started um, getting together at first, just kind of periodically and then more frequently. And, you know, it, it was never, ever news, weather and sports sort of conversation. Neither one of us. Um, I mean, we both like news and we both live in weather and we both like sports, but, but the conversations, <laughs> <laughs> Except he's a Cubs fan, which I just can't, oh. and a Bears fan, and a Bears oh, no. fan. Even oh, I just, no. I know it's amazing. The friendship has actually survived that, to be honest. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it, it's painful at times. But um, we just we just would get together and and talk about things that were uh, commonly of interest to us. And pretty quickly, what was commonly of interest to to both of us was uh, leadership. Different different. Severs. So he's he was a, a pastor for 42 years, 38 years in the same church, the church that we wow. attended. Um, he uh, so he's lived in that sphere, in that arena all of his life. You know, was called to that arena. I've lived in the business world for all but two years of my working life, mm-hmm. and yet we found a lot of commonality in our conversations about leaders in both of those. And that was actually a point of deep interest to both of us. And, and so our conversations more and more turned to the topic of how do, how do leaders finish well? How do mm. they finish well? And, and by finishing well, we didn't mean, you know, keeping the faith or believing a certain orthodoxy or which is important. But, but how do they end without being bitter? And how do they at the end of their life, pass along a blessing to the next generation. How do they finish finish well? And, and we both had ample 
examples from our two different environments of leaders that didn't finish well. And so that became increasingly the topic of conversation all prior to writing the book, Gasping for Breath. I love that um, finishing well, not ending in bitterness and blessing, leaving a blessing, leaving a legacy <laughs> gift, leaving a gift behind. Mm-hmm. Very specific two points to ending well. Mm-hmm. So, so as I think about the dream pursuit for people, for example, they get to the end of that dream pursuit and how will they pursue that without getting bitter, without getting just embroiled in the hardness of it and also pass it on to the next generation. That's really insightful. Because in anything, in, in, in pursuing a dream, in just living life, in parenting children and grandchildren, in running a business, in being a pastor in a church for an, for a, in an, in an or, inordinately long time in one place, there are a lot of disappointments. And there are a lot of a lot of setbacks, and there is a lot of heartache. Um, there's a there is a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment and a lot of success as well. But it's it's mm. actually it's actually easy um, to to lose sight of that, and to um, begin to be burdened by the heartache and the hardship and and just kind of pushing this big rock up this steep hill, whatever it is. So I mean, a dream pursuing a dream can be like that. And so how do you, how do you keep, keep the faith and finish well? Um, That became, you know, and, and Dave was approaching the end of his uh, ministry, formal ministry in the church. And so we started kind of focusing, I'm, I'm approaching the end of probably a stage of my consulting practice. And so that became an increasing focus of our of our conversations because we both deeply desired to finish well ourselves. So when did the book when did the book uh, co-authoring a book come up <laughs> in that nine year span? You know where what sparked that? So uh, November of 2019. So um, and this and this is um, I don't use this word lightly. This is prophetic. I, we believe, I believe. So this was prior to COVID, uh, prior to uh, George Floyd, um, prior to when um, uh, breath and breathing became a universal global focus. So shortly after Dave retired, um, he was intending to, he had already um, formed and was just beginning down the path of, he had formed a, a nonprofit called Things That Remain. Uh, and he intended to, um, his, his focus is on the church and particularly on leaders within the church. Um, and so um, helping them with what we were just talking about. How do they mm. stay, stay engaged and stay hopeful and finish well when they finish? And, and so he started something called Things That Remain with the intent of uh, particularly pastoring pastors and leading, leading leaders. And so um, shortly, though, after he retired, uh, he was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So idiopathic is no known cause or cure. Uh, pulmonary is lungs fibrosis as a hardening or scarring of the lungs. Wow. And so it's a, it's a progressive, incurable, fatal disease. Um, and the way a person passes from it dies from it is they suffocate. It's a terrible disease. It's, it's, and it, and it's familial. Um, uh, he is father passed away from it. Uh, a sister died from it. Another sister has it and is on oxygen. And then he has a brother who interestingly doesn't have it and none of his children do, but he was diagnosed with it shortly after he retired. And Dave and his wife, Bonnie, shared that grim diagnosis with us shortly after he received it. We we were having dinner together at our house. And shortly after that, November of 2019, again, I I don't say this lightly. It's just um, I woke up with a vision. 
truly a vision at three o'clock in the morning um, to co-author a book with Dave titled Gasping for Breath. Mm. So in my mind, though, what I, what I saw or heard was focused primarily on Dave's physical condition. That was kind of the, kind of the presenting issue was Dave's going to be gasping for breath physically. But very quick, and he was not excited, by the way. <laughs> when I initially presented the idea to him, he goes, I don't think so. I mean, this is just too close for comfort. This is just mm -hmm. you know, too close to my facing up to my own mortality. But very quickly, we came to the, the, the realization, the understanding that um, that, that title and is just a container for a lot of things that we had been talking about. Yeah. Because the, the reality is this, Jeff, um, what, what we've discovered, one of the many things we've discovered is that um, in, in doing webinars and speaking a little bit on this and just feedback we've been getting from people who have read the book, uh, gasping for breath is both personal and it's universal. Mm -hmm. So personal in the sense that Dave has his own personal experience that he is his, since, since he was first diagnosed, his condition has, has progressed. I mean, he, his health is diminishing. His ability to breathe is diminishing. That's his personal experience. I'm, I'm not currently having that same experience. But I've had my own personal experiences of gasping for breath. And, and so have you. And, yes. so, and the other part is it's universal. And so has every other human on the planet. We, we all experience, whether it's physical or whether it's emotional or whether it's uh, financial or whether it's relational or whether it's professional, we will experience one or maybe several times where we will be gasping for breath. And so that's really what we wanted to lean into with the book is what happens when that happens. You know, first of all, acknowledging the reality of that. Yeah. And then second of all, how do we how do we recover our breath, learn to breathe deeply again? How do we pass along um, with our last breath a blessing to the next generation? That's what we tried to capture in this container called gasping for breath. So it's really not about it really is not about COVID, even though it was written during COVID. It's, yeah. it's really it's really not about Dave's disease. We mentioned both in the book, but we don't dwell on either. And um, we actually just used it as a as a metaphor, a container to talk about what's personal and universal. So what are some of the what are some of the best practices um, that you've learned uh, or you even wrote about in the book mm -hmm. to help people when they are gasping for breath? How do you well, regain your breath? <laughs> yeah, so there's so there's two chapters right in the middle of the book that are kind of, the, I would say, kind of the meat of the book. So the first one is recovering your breath, and then the second one is learning to breathe deeply. So so, so kind of picture this. I've had this experience. Um, uh, our younger son, Joshua, uh, lives out in uh, the Seattle, Washington area with uh, his, his wife, our wonderful daughter-in-law, Jess, and their, their daughter, our perfect granddaughter, Tani, um, the best granddaughter on the planet, yes. aside from our other granddaughter, by the way. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> or my, or my four grandchildren, right? Yes, of course. Right. <laughs> of course. Personal and universal. Yes. Right. Um, right. Um, so every time we go out to visit, uh, Josh and Justin Chani, we're, we're actually doing that later this week. Um, Josh and I will typically take a day uh, to go hiking in the Cascades. It's actually the best way for me to have a great father-son conversation with him. Kind of gets him out. We're one-on-one. -on -one, um, we're out in nature, which we both really, really enjoy. Um, and, and it gives us an opportunity with no technology, no distractions, just in God's creation, talking with each other and listening to each other. Um, but here's here's the deal. I'm a flatlander. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so as soon as we're at altitude and he lives at altitude and then we're, you know, he's regularly climbing and hiking and skiing and cycling at altitude. As soon as we're like 15 steps out of the car, I'm beginning to, to huff and puff and about a mile in, I'm gasping for breath. Yes. <laughs> literally, literally, physically, literally. 
I mean, I'm, I'm 35 years older than him too. I mean, that, that might be a factor. And so, so, <laughs> so, so recovering your breath, the, the, the picture is this. I mean, you, you stop, if that's the case, like physically you stop for a period of time and you, you, you know, might put your hands on your knees and you might recover your breath. So a recovery strategy, for example, might be taking a, a three-day weekend. It might be taking a staycation. It might even be taking a sabbatical for a, you know, a 90 day or six month sabbatical might allow you to recover your breath. You can catch your breath again. You can, yeah. The challenge is that um, for many people, like after a three day weekend um, by Tuesday at 10 o'clock, they're gasping again Mm -hmm. because nothing has changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I'm, you know, again, going back to the metaphor, if I'm still at altitude, as soon as I start hiking again, I'm still at altitude. Nothing has changed. I've just recovered my breath. And so we talk about that and say, so it's important. It's important, first of all, to acknowledge, just to acknowledge and to accept that sometimes we're gasping for breath and it's actually a natural thing. If you're not gasping for breath, not, not talking about physically here, but just emotionally and spiritually and um, intellectually a little bit, um, as we're beginning perhaps to come out of COVID, if that hasn't caused you to lose your breath a little bit, you're not paying attention. You're just not alive mm-hmm. because it, it's, it's a, for in many different ways, it's just a game changer. It is, it is disorienting what we are still going through. And so the first is to acknowledge that, uh, you know what? This is universal, and there are times when this is going to happen. And then second, to to have some strategies, it's good to recover our breath sometimes, but then to realize that if we don't, we're not meant to live gasping for breath. That's not how we were we were created. See, now there there's where that is such a um, counterintuitive, countercultural statement. Yes. Because our culture rewards us for being out of breath. Yes. Or or so we think. That's right. Right. You have to be out of breath to be successful. You have to be out of breath to do the things you want to do. Um, even in the dream pursuit, you have to be out of breath to chase right. after your dream if you're going to realize it. And you said something very profound. We are not designed. It's not intended for us to be gasping for breath. No, at the very beginning, at the very beginning of the book in Genesis, um, God breathed into our nostrils, the breath, the breath of, life, of life. Yeah. And we became a living soul. So we're not just, you know, bodies. We are living souls. We're both physical and we're spiritual. Um, we're living souls with God's breath, his breath in us. And so we're meant to live with that breath in us, which again, if God is not in a hurry, if his breath is in us, then we should be filled with breath and not gasping. That's how we were created. But of course, the story from the very beginning took a tragic turn. Mm -hmm. And we've been gasping in one way or another at one time or another ever since. But we're not created or designed to live that way. But you're exactly right, Jeff. We're rewarded in in weird ways for living that way. Mm-hmm. If if we're not if we're not chasing it, if we're not actively pursuing it, if we're not running fast, if we're, uh, you know, I mean, if you're really committed, if you're really committed to this company, right? You know, you'll work you'll work this weekend. You know, right? Um, right. Work every weekend. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and how so, many people are waiting for, they're waiting for the recovery of breath. They're waiting for vacation yeah, to slow yeah. down. Yep. Um, and so then the next chapter is learning how to breathe. Learning how to breathe deeply. So, so, and, so and making that a regular part of your, your rhythm. Right. And so, and so there we unpack a number of spiritual practices or rhythms. And there are more than what we uh, delve into in the book. 
um, but we wanted to, to unpack um, several that we think are, are vitally important. Um, and you used the right word just earlier, Jeff, um, countercultural. Mm -hmm. Every one of these practices actually is countercultural. So the, the, uh, the first one we talk about is silence. So we have, Dave and I have, have learned that we have no difficulty convincing people that we live in a noisy world. Like everyone kind of goes, yeah, no duh. I mean, it's, it's noisy, right. <laughs> just physically noisy. Like we're, we, you can't go anywhere where there aren't TVs or Muzak or, you know, ambient noise or people or, and, and it seems like a lot of the voices that are, are on TV, for example, these days are shouting. They're not conversing, they're shouting. And so we live in a noisy world in many different ways. That, that is an accepted fact by almost everybody that we've talked to. The idea of turning down the volume and, and even for short periods of time, being silent is countercultural. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, it's, and, and it's hard. Very hard. And it's it's dismissed out of hand by many as right. impossible, or I can't do that. Right. Wow. So, so Same. for each one of these, each one of these um, rhythms or practices, we also tried to just be real about them saying, you know what, um, you're, you're reading a book written by two ADD guys, literally. <laughs> and so um, we are, we are not your typical and let me finish the statement, then I'll come. We're not your typical get up at five o'clock in the morning, light a candle, sit silently, read scripture, journal our innermost thoughts, and then set out calmly and quietly into the day sort of guys. I admire deeply people that are like that. I'm not. And neither is Dave. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about these practices, we tried to talk about them in practical ways. Like, how do you, how do, you do this just even in small pieces in practical ways? And, and the point is not the practice. The point is what the practice does. The whole intent of all of these practices yes. and, and is, to, is to actually create intimacy with God. Yeah. God, God deeply, up. right. Yeah. God deeply desires to be in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with his creation, with you and with me and with everyone that will listen to this podcast. And so how, how do we do that? Well, if, if, if we're living in noise, for example, we can't hear his voice. We just can't hear him because mm -hmm. his voice is drowned out by all the other shouting voices, all the ambient noise. So the first one is silence. The second one is solitude which also is countercultural. I mean, um, we live in a world of Facebook likes. Mm -hmm. And so how do you carve out times to just be alone in solitude where it's just you doing one-on-one -on -one with God? That's yeah. hard. <laughs> That's hard too. And so finding times, finding ways, whether it's, you know, whether it is first thing in the morning, whether it is, you know, midday, you just, if you're in an office, you just get out of the office for a short period of time, whether it's, um, I have a practice when I'm in the car, although I spend a lot less time now in the car with COVID, um, I would just turn off the radio and there would be silence in the car with the exception of the road noise around me and people that are honking at me and, and view that as silent and solitude time to just pray and to be one-on-one -on -one with God. I remember uh, giving that assignment to our worshipers one Sunday a number of years ago to practice solitude. And I said, I want to make this really simple for you. You don't have to go do some mountaintop retreat to have solitude. The challenge is this. This entire week, when you're in the car, I want you to just turn the radio off wherever right. you're driving. Because all of you, you listen to music. I'm addicted to music in the car mm -hmm. and let's just uh, do that for a week and let's check in next week and see how that went. Yeah. And it was fascinating how people responded to that assignment. Mm -hmm. What did you hear? Did it. I yeah, heard what did you hear? It, I heard that it was even noisier at the beginning. <laughs> Their minds were so rattled and filled with 
thoughts that yeah. they couldn't they couldn't concentrate it was it was easier to listen to the music than it was to mm -hmm. be silent and to be alone yeah um or to have solitude mm -hmm. there was a craving there's an addiction uh was another comment i i felt like like you just took away something that i needed i need my music right and yeah. so we talked about addiction and mm -hmm. And I, I remember being at a conference at Willow Creek, and it was all on spiritual practices, the, mm -hmm. the workshop I went to, and uh, Ruth Haley Barton was leading it, and she's oh, yeah. a great author on spiritual disciplines, mm -hmm. and she gave us an assignment. She The room was dark. She said, I want you to go out on campus. It was a beautiful autumn day, and I want you to just lay in the grass, go somewhere where you're comfortable, and I want you to be quiet. I just want you to be still. I don't want you to read your Bible. I don't, you know, a lot of us, we're going to read our Bibles and do Bible study. No, no, no. I just want you to be quiet and be yeah. still for 50 minutes. I just want you to try and I want you to come back at this time. So if you need to set an alarm, do it. And we went out and we came back into the room. It was quiet. The lights were dim and she came up to the front of the room and the lights gradually came on. And she said, how many of you? fell asleep and 95% of the room raised their hands said, right. well, fell asleep. She goes, well, why is that? It's because that's the only time we are ever silent. Right. Yeah. And that's got to change. Mm -hmm. Dave, so, Dave had the, yes. Yeah. Uh, many of us um, are exhausted. And so when we're quiet, we fall asleep. I mean, it's in scripture. I mean, the disciples are supposed to stay awake with Jesus as he's oh, praying in the man. garden. And they can't stay can't awake for, for minutes because they're exhausted. And the so the spirit just, is willing and the flesh is weak, right? Right. right. Dave, uh, Dave had the experience uh, doing a, a retreat with a group of people and, and encouraging them to do something similar to that, um, to just to just be quiet and to um, to spend a, a, sh a relatively short period of time, like 50 minutes is not a long period of time, relatively short, just to spend a short period of time. And one of the participants in the, uh, in the retreat, all of a sudden started having excruciating pain in his back. And when he went to the doctor um, shortly after that, like first thing the next week, the doctor diagnosed that this had actually been a condition that had been going on for a long time. But because he had been, because his world was so noisy, his body didn't even feel it. Like he didn't even acknowledge the fact that he had a serious back issue because he just, it didn't register because his world was so filled with noise that it wasn't until he was quiet and alone that he actually felt the pain that his body was in, mm. which is hard to imagine. And then again, it, it's really not. Yeah. I mean, physically, that may be hard, but emotionally, relationally, it, it's not hard at all to imagine what I just described. Wow. So silence and solitude. What's the third one that you talk about? Third one is is the most uh, disobeyed commandment, Sabbath. Yes, I thought <laughs> it was going to be Sabbath. Yep. And actually, actually, I do pretty good on silence and solitude. Um, they actually uh, are not. Um, they are not difficult for me. I'm actually a person that needs silence. So when I was studying for my certified financial planning degree, for example, years ago, uh, we were living in Seattle at the time, and I would go to the graduate reading room um, at the University of Washington, which is kind of this big Gothic cathedral building where if you sneeze in there, like you get excused from the building, like it's so quiet in there. So, and that's actually what I need to study. So those two are pretty easy for me. I'm terrible at Sabbath. Hmm. Like I, it is so difficult. And this one in particular, I think is really countercultural. It wasn't two generations ago. Right. So things were, you know, the U S was, was Chick-fil-A two years, you know, two generations ago, everything was closed on Sunday. And so there was kind of a, a, a forced Sabbath of sorts. What you did with it was up to you, but you couldn't shop. You couldn't do much of anything from a commerce perspective on Sunday, that's no longer the case. Carol and I had a blinding glimpse of the obvious. We, uh, we traveled to Israel uh, 
um, three years ago with a small group of friends, and we had the privilege of, of being there for a couple of weeks, and we observed two Sabbaths when we were there, the first one in Jerusalem and the second one in Tel Aviv. And in Jerusalem in particular, which is a, is a more much older traditional city, of course, um, they still observe the Sabbath in Jerusalem. And so um, public transportation doesn't run. All of the businesses, at least in the Jewish quarter of the city, are closed for the day. Everyone walks. Um, the tour buses, by and large, don't run. Businesses are closed. And, uh, and it, it's, it's remarkable, actually. And it was, it, was really, it was really impressed on our whole group the beauty of and the importance of, of taking a day. Our, our Jewish guide, Alan, celebrated Shabbat with us and kind of led us through his whole, as, a, as an observant Jew, his whole rhythm and ritual for observing the Sabbath. And it's a day of celebration, a day of delight. It's not a day of, of can't do's or don't do's. It's a day of actually delighting in God's presence of eating and feasting and drinking wine and making love to your wife. And, you know, it's, it's a great day. It's like mm-hmm. the day he looks forward to the most of the seven days of the week. So we came back excited to do this as a small group. We said, let's let's take baby steps. Let's just get together one day a month as a group and observe a Sabbath together, like celebrate the Sabbath together. And then we all got out our iPhones, like out came the iPhone. And we go, well, let's let's find, you know, the next Sunday that we can do this. And it wasn't but eight months in the future that we could actually get our calendars to agree where we actually could like take a day off together. Hmm. Crazy. Just nuts. So there's a, there's a communal aspect of that as well, a community aspect, as well as an individual aspect. Big time. So it's yes. not just about, it's not just about um, Shabbating alone. No, going and reading your Bible for the entire day. It's about celebrating and enjoying the life as it was intended to be lived. Yes. And to have that every week, not once every week. Which is in community. Right. Which is in community. I mean, we're one of the one of the things we've learned through COVID, through the pandemic, is that we are relational women and men. Yes. And and not being in relationship, you know being isolated, being separated from family and friends and church community and so forth. I mean, Zoom is wonderful. It's great to see you on Zoom here, Jeff, but but it's different than being really in community of doing life together with those whom you love. And, and so uh, Shabbat is really a, commu- so a communal experience. Dave is much better at this. Um, not just because he's a pastor. <laughs> he's, he's, just, he's just much better at this. The way that he celebrates the Sabbath every week when he was lead pastor is when he was done. So he worked on Sunday mornings. He's a right. pastor. Right. So when he was done, you know, at noon, 1230, he would come home to his house, which is only a couple blocks from the church. And his whole family would already be there, children, grandchildren. And he'd walk into the house and the place would just explode like, yeah dad's home grandpa's here and and shabbat begins and it's mm-hmm. eating and it's watching football and it's feasting and it's just chasing the grandkids around the house and being a being a knucklehead with his grandkids and kids and it's a day of delight he doesn't read the bible all afternoon he watches bears games <laughs> no, that that can't be enjoyable this, <laughs> it'd be my worst nightmare but right. I mean, we all have our practices right well, right so, but it is, it's communal. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's the third one. Uh, the next one we talk about is prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I actually love uh, uh, Annie Lamont's book on prayer. She kind of breaks it down like all prayers kind of fall into these three categories. Help, help, help. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And wow. Wow. And so we talk a little bit about making prayer just a, a practice and how do you practice it and how do you show up real with God and how do you bring everything to him and how do you learn increasingly to listen instead of talk? Talk all the time. Talk all the time. Bring your laundry list to God in the form of prayer. 
how do you how do you learn to just listen? And that goes back to silence and solitude. Mm-hmm. And then the last one we talk about in the book, again, there are more than these. There's celebration, there's fasting, there's we we just didn't delve into them in this particular book. The last one we do talk about is um reverent wonder. Reverent wonder. Mm-hmm. So so um all of us, wherever we are, live in God's creation. And so how do, how do we learn to pay attention and celebrate the beauty that we're surrounded by all day, every day. Um, Carol and I are, are uh, really blessed to live um, on a small bay on Lake Minnetonka, um, just west of the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And so we have a, we have a sun porch that orients right to the lake that um, three and a half seasons out of the year, we eat out there almost every meal. And um, we have a chance to just watch. And the view is never, ever, ever, ever the same. Mm. The cloud formations uh, silhouetted on the lake, the changing of the seasons, the, the geese and the ducks and the loons. The, it's just a daily, daily reminder of the magnificence of God's creation. So it's a spiritual practice to pay attention to that and to live in the spirit of gratitude for that, that we have the senses to be able to experience that our eyesight and our ears. And so that's, that's the, that's the other practice that we talk about. Wow. So this is really important work that you've done to get this out into the world and to share your friend's story as well. Um, And how that's a metaphor for, all of our lives. I was uh, preaching on Sunday, Isaiah 27, um, where Leviathan is described as a coiling serpent. Um, I I picture uh, these big crocodiles in Africa that are under the water and the the deer comes down to get a drink and unsuspecting he is, the croc comes up and grabs a limb and pulls him under the water and then coils around him and just squeezes the life out of him. Wow. And um, mm. gasping for breath. And I was gave our people an, another assignment. I said, I want you to practice breaths, having some breath stops this week. Mm. Mm-hmm. And taught them what that would be. And I said, mm. it doesn't have to be more than 10 minutes, but practice it every day. Practice breathing, practice stopping, yeah. slow down. Where can you do it? And it's amazing. I've had three or four emails since Sunday. It's Tuesday right now when we're recording this of people that have sent me emails saying I practiced it while I was waiting for my kids to come out of the school building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can find time to breathe. Mm-hmm. We can do this. You know, most people say, well, we don't got time to breathe. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Turn the TV off 10 minutes earlier. Get up 10 minutes right. earlier. Uh, put an alarm at, at one o'clock in the afternoon and take 10 minutes to just breathe and be yeah. and be still. This is really important work that you're doing because we are exhausting ourselves. And mm. because it's important work and because there's a real being called Leviathan, who's mm. a serpent that coils around us and squeezes the breath out of us. I bet along the way in publishing this book, writing this book, collaborating on this book, marketing this book, communicating, there have been barriers and obstacles from the enemy who wants to squeeze the life out of us. Can you share any examples of where that has been true? Oh, yeah, Um, for sure. Uh, First of all, just co-authoring is not easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Dave and I are wonderful friends and, and we're still really, we're better friends after writing this, which, which I think is actually unusual. Um, I, I, it, it's easy actually for a project like this to actually fray a friendship mm-hmm. because we both have um, a voice. We both have a perspective. We both have stories. We both have experiences. Um, and yet um, the back and forth, we communicated via um, FaceTime. Um, four or five days a week through the whole pandemic. So we started earnestly in January of 2020 and the book was published uh, in February of this year. Wow. And so for almost 12 months, we were back and forth, back and forth writing and editing. And, and um, it was challenging at times um, because we both, I mean, neither of us lack for an opinion. 
And so to, to, to let to let go of things that we really thought was important to be in the book, but it just it just for whatever reason, one or the other of us say, I don't think it I don't think it fits or we just don't have space or so there was there was a lot of resistance in that. Um, there is resistance, just spiritual warfare and resistance just in Dave's condition. Yeah. Um, it is easy as he his disease has progressed. It's easy for him to get um, discouraged. It's easy for me to be, be discouraged and s- deeply saddened by yeah. that as we were yeah. going through this. And then we were actually, there's there, there's kind of a bad news turned into a, an amazing, we had a number of just amazing um, moments where, where, where God just sh- showed up. And again, he was, he was more patient than we were. We were, we were well down the road um, to self-publishing the book and, and had actually signed a contract and had deposited money. And we were having conversations with um, the, the firm that was going to be our self-publisher. Cause one of the things we, we didn't want to do is, is delay a lot seeking a publisher again, largely because of Dave's disease. Mm-hmm. We thought, we think we've got something here. We want to get it out into the market. We don't want to fool around with trying to woo a publisher to publish it for us. And then um, we started having some conversations with the firm and, and they just weren't, they just weren't quite getting it. Like they had made some promises and things weren't quite progressing the way that we thought they should. And then an editor showed up. So a person, we were through a connection, a friend of a friend, we were directed to an editor and the editor Whoops, did I lose you there? Nope, I'm right here. Oh, there you are. Okay. The editor, turns out the editor, his name is Lance. He's a um, he's a brilliant writer in his own right. He's he's written a number of books that have done really well. He's ghostwritten for quite a number of Christian authors, and he's a great editor, just a great editor. And it turns out, unbeknownst to us, that he had actually attended Church of the Open Door, which is the church that David pastored for 38 years. Mm. And Dave didn't, Dave didn't know him, actually, because what, what had happened what had happened was Lance was attending at a time when they were still worshiping at a high school gymnasium. And he was at a kind of a difficult place in his own faith journey. And so he would come in and go up to the upper reaches yeah. of the bleachers in the dark and just sit there and weep mm. because of what Dave was teaching. Mm. And so he said, look, whatever you need in this, like you've, you've changed my life, Dave, with your teaching and you didn't even know it. And so whatever you need, I'd be delighted to edit it. And by the way, I've got my college roommate um, as a publisher. <laughs> wow. He's the he's the uh, the head of uh, the publishing company that does all of youth uh, uh, YWAM's publishing. Wow! And so we all of a sudden had an, a brilliant editor and a publisher, and the 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 obstacle of this isn't just isn't quite working the way that we thought it would. That was completely removed, and without Lance's editing, this book wouldn't have been nearly what it is because he is a great great editor and writer and man of deep faith. So we had numerous experiences like that during the process where there was something that was just right in the way. And then all of a sudden, almost in every case, a person, which is how God Mm. works is through people. The right person would show just at the right moment with the right stuff. So in those moments where you didn't know that it was going to turn out awesome, and it was really hard and you were tempted to quit or to change course or to just say this not going to happen. What kept you moving forward anyway? What, what kept you focused and not give up? I, I would say t- there are a number of things, but two things are really, I think, of primary importance. One, um, it's difficult to co-author. But but at the same time, um, the two of us were seldom discouraged at the same time. And so 
there, there really is a benefit um, in pursuing your dream in um, whatever it may be, the benefit of being in relationship with at least one other person is so wow. pivotal. And yeah. so Dave and I could mutually encourage each other as we were going through this process. Um, so that, that was actually pivotal as we were going through this. Um, and then um, the other is, I, I think because it had all begun um, with a vision, like we, we both felt called to this. Mm. And um, I, in particular, felt called to, I, I really, I've been the beneficiary for 12 years prior to this of Dave's teaching. Like he is a remarkable Bible scholar and teacher, and he's able to unpack scripture in a way that for Carol and for me made it real and practical and applicable. And I could take something almost every week from Sunday right into the week and, and use it. Um, and so I felt called to get some things out of Dave that were in Dave before Dave could no longer speak them. Yeah. yeah so it's almost a, yeah, there's a sense of urgency. And so yeah. every time that we'd get really discouraged or we'd hit a wall, we'd remind ourselves and I'd remind Dave, the metaphor that I, that I use with Dave, Dave didn't really like this that much either, but <laughs> I said, <laughs> look, buddy, in this, in this case, um, uh, you're the golfer and I'm the caddy. Okay. Like, like you're the one I want, I want more of the content of this to be from you. Cause I think you've got some really important things to say while you can still say them. And I'm the caddy. So occasionally I'm going to say, I think a seven would be better than a six right here because of the way yeah. the wind is blowing. Yeah. But I want you to be hitting the shots actually. And so, and he kept on saying, no, no, that's not, that's not true. It is true. It, it absolutely is true. And so um, I carried the bag here and he hit the vast majority of the shots, but we felt called to do that. And I felt a particular sense of urgency and passion to do that because I wanted to get some things out of Dave that I felt compelled and called to get out of Dave while he still can, can speak and teach and write them. Wow. So, yeah. So for someone who is out of breath, someone that's gasping for breath, um, that's listening to this, maybe even in pursuing their dream or they're gasping for breath because they want to pursue their dream, but they don't feel like they can because they're so busy making a life, making a living and they're in the grind. Right. And they just don't see a way out and they're gasping for breath and they want to rediscover themselves, rediscover their calling, their purpose in life. What would you, what would you tell them at the end of this podcast today? So we, we put something in the, in the book um, almost as an afterthought, and um, um, it has turned out to be something that has been remarkably encouraging um, every time we've had a chance to speak it. And so it's, it's the epilogue to the book, and it's something that I had never, I never caught before in Scripture. So in, in uh, Mark 4, there's two parables of the sower and the seed. And uh, the first one I've heard, um, preached on, taught countless times. I've spoken the first one, which is the sower goes out and sows seed and it falls on four different kinds of soil. And, you know, it's only in the fourth soil that it actually springs up and grows and flourishes and produces a crop, you know, multiple fold. And it's, you know, Jesus was, among other things, a brilliant storyteller. Like yeah. those stories still, still, they still preach today, right? They're just amazing stories. The second story is one that I had never actually caught before. And so the story is this, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and then he goes to bed at night. So stop right there. So in scripture, when someone goes to bed at night, it almost always means that they die, like sleep or awake, like, or that they're disengaged or they're asleep at the switch or, but in this case, when he gets up the next day, he discovers the seed had sprouted and grown, but here's the punchline, but how? He himself does not know. So a couple of things about this story that for me are super hopeful. One is it's not up to me. It's mm. not up to you, Jeff. It's not up to anybody that's listening to this. Our job is just to throw out the seed. Like, 
like do what you do, whatever it is that you do. So go to work today, change your kid's diaper today, help your grandson with his homework today. Um, just do what you do. Just cast out the seed and then fall asleep. Like let it go because mm -hmm. God's at work. Yeah. And most cases we have no idea. We don't know. We just don't know. So Lance showing up as the editor, yeah. that was that was 10 years after he had heard Dave preach. Yeah. And Dave had no idea. Like God, he was just throwing out the seed, and God had slowly but surely worked that seed into this flourishing plant called Lance. And then he shows up. I had the experience. I, I thought I was a, a failure because I was actually <laughs> pretty much as a, as an educator and counselor, I just wasn't very good at it. And the one student I remember by name from that um, was the person that I had the most difficult counseling experience with. It was like one step forward, 10 steps back. Every time I sat with her, I felt that I had made zero difference, zero positive difference in her life. And then years later, decades later, at the end of a particularly difficult week, when I was still in financial services, I get this handwritten letter from her saying, you probably don't remember me, but I just wanted to share with you how my life turned out because you probably thought that I would be dead by now, which mm. I did. And so seeds had been planted and I had no idea. And so my, my encouragement to everyone listening here is just throw out the seed, like just pursue your dream, like yeah. just do what you do. And, and to the extent that you can just do what you do. Right. Yeah. And then, and then let it go and trust that God is at work because he is, he's the one who grows the plants. He's the one who he's in charge of all that. It's our job just to throw it out there. And then let it go. That's wonderful. As you were sharing that um, second reading uh, from Mark's gospel, uh, I just closed my eyes. I don't know if you're, those of you who are just listening, you couldn't have seen this in the video, but mm -hmm. I just closed my eyes. It was in I, it, unintentional, but even hearing that, he went to sleep and he didn't know how it <laughs> sprung up. And I just took this deep breath. That's yeah, that's what wow. God does. He when we're when we're near him and he speaks his creative word and redeeming word to us, yes, it, it causes us to breathe. Right. We we come back, so we if come you, back. If you hear us. this, if, if you hear this uh podcast and you think Oh, I gotta go. I gotta go try to breathe. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta work breath into my schedule more. I gotta breathe harder. <laughs> That's exactly the opposite of what we're talking about. Right. <laughs> no, you just need right. to sit with your friend. You need to sit with your companion. He's our mm -hmm. savior too, but our companion Jesus, and we will breathe. Yeah, just breathe. Just yep. breathe. It's a, and when it's a we great breathe word. our last, and when your friend breathes his last. Um, we will be totally restored with the, the the original breath intended for us. And right. it's incredible to think about that. Yeah. The ultimate hope, right? Yes. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, it is such a blessing to talk to you every time I do. I, I appreciate you. I love you, brother. I'm thankful for your work in the world. Um, Likewise. And uh, how can people find out more about um, gasping for breath or anything else that you're up to? Two places. Um, there's two websites that you can go to specifically for the book. There is a website for the book that has um, uh, some additional resources and it has a, a wonderful video. That's another story. We had this amazing video crew that just caught the vision for it and, and um, Emmy award-winning video crew that said, hey, we'd love to just do a video for you for free. Um, just let us do it. And so it has this beautiful video on there. So that website is gaspingforbreathbook.com. Gaspingforbreathbook, all spelled out, not, not the number four, but F-O-R, gaspingforbreathbook.com. And then my website, which 
as um, more more books that I've written and some additional resources and um, contact information, everything is just John Busacker, J-O-H-N-B-U-S-A-C-K-E-R.com, johnbusacker.com. Awesome. Don't hesitate to check him out. Um, if you ever get a chance to sit with John, you will be richly blessed. Your life will be better for it. He is a tremendous coach, an awesome listener, and not just because he has to, but because he's curious and he wants to. And that's, I always appreciate about you, John. So thank you for the opportunity again. And you can be a lifetime member of this podcast anytime you want to jump on, <laughs> anytime you want to share any insights you're gleaning from the world. Just get a hold of me and we'll get you in. I really appreciate awesome. it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to be back with you and with your listeners as well. Thanks, Jeff, for the opportunity. Appreciate you, it. Brother. And you. And love to your wife and enjoy your son this weekend. Oh, thank you. Hey, fellow dreamer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all of the show notes and links. And when you're ready to move from overthinking about your dream to actually taking action on it, consider joining the Dream Accelerator community. Our clients are getting crystal clear on their dream with our Dream Generator Vivid Description 5-Step Process. They're discovering the truth about fear and how to use it as fuel to take courageous steps in the right direction. And most importantly, they are walking a clear path forward because they have made an investment in themselves to confidently realize their dreams. The results are so inspiring. Having coaching and companions on the dream journey is crucial. Remember, fear will come, fear will stay. Move forward anyway.